You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Like, I don't know, I just have a problem fitting like what is expected of me i guess i'm like this is not i do not belong in this society i cannot follow your american nine to five rules it just does not work for me yeah i don't know why maybe it's because i'm bipolar and my brain is telling me don't listen to it or something i don't know no i I just it's it's kind of like how i grew up in indiana and i was gay and i had to escape and Mm -hmm. i feel that way now with just typical american culture i'm like i just don't fit in here I see all these other countries, how they live. I see the way people on islands live, and it's just totally different. I just don't feel like I can ever succeed and thrive in an environment where I don't feel like I belong fully. Well, it's because we're waking up to the brainwashing that's happened Mm -hmm. to us. The great American lie. It literally is that woke idea of like... You you wake up to what's around you and you're like, but this isn't real. Capitalism conditioned us to believe that we have to have a nine to five. They did this to make it easier for them so mm-hmm. that they could run society so that they could make more money. And they did. I mean, they made they've made trillions and trillions and countless, uh, you know, trillions of dollars on the backs of American people. And by conditioning and conforming us and they put in all these rules. I mean, last week we were talking about the production code where they literally put in these rules about how you can show your films. You you can be an independent filmmaker, but you have to follow our rules. Mm-hmm. And you can't show this and you can't do that. And you can't talk about bad about the clergy and you can't talk bad about law enforcement. And we have to really push this idea of American nationalism. But sure, freedom, absolutely, 100 percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like you wake up to that lie and you see what's going on around you and you you realize I but this isn't real and it mm-hmm. doesn't seem it seems that no matter how much you scream out that what you're telling me is not true they still keep looking you right in the face like I'm the crazy one exactly it's that's gaslighting and, right and like I'm not the crazy one like for example it, I was in a meeting with my boss and like all of my coworkers, and we're sitting down and he's like yeah we're probably gonna have to do I, well he might listen to this probably not but just in case but anyways he's like um you, we're gonna have to do some mandatory overtime to get this stuff done and i'm like i quit my last i literally in the meeting was like just so you know i quit my last job because i had to do mandatory overtime and like i just am not about that life like i'll do it for a little bit because if we have to do that to succeed and get our goals done for whatever like i'll do it for a few weeks but that is not who i am yeah and then he's like and then everybody nobody else said anything and i'm like are you guys just all okay are you folks all just okay with this like is nobody cares like he's expecting us to give up more of our lives Mm -hmm. for a company that's paying us as little as they can not that i'm making no money but like for as little like as low as they can to keep us on board you're all willing to give up your freedom yeah I know, I know. That's exactly the mentality, and we're all supposed to buy into it. And if we don't buy into it, then we're just we're you know, the ones that we're lazy millennials, and we just want everything handed to us. Mm-hmm. Like, and we we're the ones who end up getting disciplined or saying, "Oh, mm-hmm. well, your performance wasn't as good as it could have been." And right. I, like, I don't know what the fuck you expect. This is my life. Yeah, I am who I am. 
Uh, no, I, 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 I agree with it. And you know what? It's a perfect introduction to today's topic. On one more up. topic because it's mental health. <laughs> that I need to talk about. Yeah. I went to a new doctor. My old doctor got furloughed apparently when uh, COVID happened. Um, But I went to a new doctor and I actually like her better. And um, I've been really struggling with my mental health lately. And I was sitting down with her and I was kind of like, you know, I've been in such like a, it feels like I'm drowning and I can't even reach out for help because I'm using all of my energy to stay afloat. And I don't know what to do. And I was like, it's not like I can just take three weeks off of work and work on myself and like try to get, feel better. And she's like, actually, you kind of can. Yeah. You have a chronic illness. And if you need to take some time off work, you are more than entitled to that. And it was like the first time anybody told me that. Yeah. Where like if like I knew it existed, but I didn't also want to be that person on the team right because then automatically they're like oh Paul took a few weeks off you know and it's just like gonna be the talk of whatever and it's like if I need that (laughs) I need that well that's society but that's society again like telling you you can't take a break you can't you can't take care of yourself you have to devote yourself completely to your career Mm -hmm. and if we're not devoted completely to our career then that makes us less of a person and it's bullshit you know, mm-hmm. it's it's all bullshit. And if we had universal health care, if we had this mentality that a mental health mattered, we would see it different. And I'm going to tell you as a person who went from an organization that did not give two shits about my mental health to an organization that is constantly trying to check in with my mental health. It's very, uh, it's, it's great, but it's also, it's weird. Mm-hmm. It's weird when a few people reach out to me and, and say, you know, I had a really tough case um, a couple weeks ago that obviously I can't talk about, but it was right. a really tough case. And, you know, I had like three people from the organization higher up reach out and say, hey, you know, if you want to take a mental health day, go right ahead. And I was like, that's really awesome. And I first said, no, I'm fine. I'm, I, I was forcing myself to push through. Like, I don't mm-hmm. need this break. I'm OK. And then I finally cracked and I was like, you know what? I'm actually going to take an extra day. And I did, you know, and it was even And you need that sometimes. And I actually was talking to my therapist. I was like, there was one day where I just took a sick day because I just couldn't get out of bed. And I was like, I felt so guilty. Like I wasn't actually sick. Why am I in bed? Why am I not working? Am I going to get in trouble for this? And she's like, I think you just got to get to a point in life where you understand that if you need that day, you need that day because there's nothing you can do. Like if your body literally just can't, like if mentally you're just so drained, you just need to give yourself some time. And yeah. like, you know, especially because I do have like bipolar disorder, it does affect me. And mm-hmm. and for so long in my life, I'll go like a whole month and I'll just be like, why can't I be more productive? Why can't I just do my job? Why can't I just everybody else can do it why can't i like what's wrong with me and it's just there's nothing i mean yes i have an illness but that doesn't mean there's something wrong with me it just means i might need a little adjustment every now and then yeah oh and and again like if you don't like why are you going to run yourself into the ground Mm -hmm. like why do if i'm going to run myself into the ground it's going to be for something i fucking believe in right you know, I, I will run myself into the ground for something I believe in, which is part of just my whole like workers, uh, you know, um, working addiction. What's the word I'm looking for? Workaholic. Workaholic. Yeah, it's that, you are a that person. I am. But at least I'm doing it for something I believed in. Before I was work, I was working myself into the ground for a fucking company that wouldn't even pay my manager a fucking living wage. My managers, let alone my cashiers, they wouldn't even pay the supervisors a livable wage. Nope. And I'm nope. going to kill myself when you can't even treat your people with a basic 
level of respect, mm-hmm. basic decency. You're a goddamn. You call yourself a health organization, CVS Health, and you couldn't even pay a supervisor. CVS acquired an insurance company, <laughs> and they still won't pay their employees. And they still won't offer insurance to no. most of their employees at a, at a, at a cost effective. You rate. are like, and you own this company, and you can't be like, <laughs> hey, we own a health insurance company. Let's give all of our employees mm-hmm. super really cheap discounted at cost insurance. Can't nope. even do that. Nope, can't even do that. That you could you could earn more at a gas station in Rhode Island than you could as a supervisor at CVS Health, mm-hmm. and they want to play that health game. Yeah. So and and you and I know you're saying like this is different things, but this is exactly what ACT UP was mm-hmm. about. ACT UP was not just about the AIDS crisis. ACT UP was about universal health care. They were about livable wage. They were about confronting Wall Street and Wall Street's greed because that was what was all playing into people dying. People mm-hmm. were dying. I mean left and right from AIDS and no one was talking about it. And even if they were talking about it, you couldn't afford your health care anyways. Right. You couldn't afford your housing. You couldn't afford any of the things that nope. you needed. You just had to die. You had to deal with it. And I mean, if you were out on the streets and you were dying, guess what? Hopefully somebody can take care of you. Yeah. Yeah. But go ahead and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but welcome back. <laughs> uh, I really oh, needed Jesus. to get that off my chest. Welcome to yeah. your favorite a segment of the Your Queer Story podcast, the 10 minutes of therapy before the episode actually starts. <laughs> we just rant and rave about whatever, and sometimes we talk about our week, and sometimes we just talk about whatever's on our mind. You know what? This is, especially because of COVID, we don't see other people very often, so it's our first time to like... <laughs> yeah. You know, we talk like I've mentioned before on uh, through message, but it's usually business stuff like sending yeah. articles or what do you think of this? So it's our only time to really like friend connect. <laughs> We're really bad at communicating as friends when it's not about business. Like yeah. we'll send a message or a meme to each other. But otherwise, like Samantha, she's fucking calling her friends on the phone every I day. Know. It's weird. It is weird because <laughs> David's like will call like his sister or, you know, like I call my mom probably once every three days or so and I just mm. talk to her and catch up um, but I really just I don't communicate to people we're both very much loners I think yeah. and we just happen to run into the other only loner that we, we genuinely enjoy talking to I guess. we connected yeah, we, I don't we know. connected through trauma and, it, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it just has worked out but yeah we're not good I do I talk to my sisters re- uh, throughout the day like in, in message and then I call one of my sisters very frequently mm-hmm. and I do talk to Deanna a good bit um, but like th- again that's usually through messenger or something mm-hmm. but like I call Katie but yeah I, I don't I just and I, don't I tried to, to explain to David because he's oftentimes told me that I don't tell him everything that's going on in my life <laughs> and I yeah. just don't like I don't know my day-to-day life I don't feel as exciting enough to share with somebody like I'm not gonna mm. call them and be like you'll never guess what I did today I went to the store and I found the super cute pair of this like I just to me that's not something I need to share mm-hmm. I, just, I agree if it's not groundbreaking or really exciting I don't who am I gonna why do I need to call somebody or talk to somebody and tell them this yeah I, and it sounds really bad like I will listen to Samantha share all that and she will share all of that I don't mind Even listening about to it. how like I picked this sweater up and then I was like you know what I don't want the blue sweater this this maroon looks a lot better on my skin and I'll listen to all that and I like I love listening to her because the sound of her voice is soothing and comforting and it brings me joy <laughs> but I don't really care what like that she picked up the blue sweater and put and put on the maroon sweater. I don't care about that detail. And so you're right. When she wants to hear that detail from me, I don't share it because I don't think about it. Because I'm exactly. like, what what about it? There's nothing. <laughs> it's not a memory that I register in my brain. I just it's it is what it is. And yeah, yeah. 
but you know what? Whatever. It works. She, her friends love talking to her on the phone and we love catching up once every couple weeks. Yeah, it works. <laughs> it works because then I feel like there's so much to talk about and it's exciting and I can share details of various pieces of things put together in one. And Absolutely. it's not just bland, bland everyday whatever. ramen. Exactly. It's like a nice stew of all the different flavors. <laughs> Anyways, but yes, we do need to talk about, and I started last time, so you can start for this week's episode. All right. So today, in honor of World AIDS Day on December 1st, we want to recognize and honor a group that was fundamentally responsible for changing the tide on the AIDS crisis. ACT UP, an acronym that stood for AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, was founded in 1987. At this time, over 40,000 Americans had died of the AIDS crisis, and the president had only just acknowledged there was even a pandemic happening. Triggering because yes, here we are. Yet another uh, Republican TV star put into power fucking shit up. Wow. Yeah, I didn't even remember. Man, there's going to be, you know how there's those correlations between like Lincoln, Lincoln and yeah. Kennedy? It's going to be the same thing between Reagan and Trump because both in the middle of a crisis, both watching thousands just of people didn't die. Even, just like literally off. just sitting like, oh, wow. Look both, what's, I wonder what's going yeah. on out there today. Both movie stars have had no business in politics, although Reagan at least had, you know, some, some uh, experience in politics before he became president. But yes, like mm-hmm. both ultra conservative had this... Um, godlike following from the far right yeah. that is honestly creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, yeah. We have a neighbor, not a neighbor, he's around the corner, or she, I don't know, but they have a Trump 2020 and a Jesus 2020 st- like flag in their yard. <laughs> yeah, real, Jesus real crazy. Christ. Funding was still obsolete, and most doctors couldn't convince people that this was. That this was not. Sorry. Uh, couldn't convince people that this was not a gay disease. Important clarification. Yeah, I was it. like, um. I'm just going to add that now, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> and they certainly couldn't convince people to care about all the gays who were dying um, of this mysterious virus. The world needed to wake up and start taking action on a crisis that had been raging for nearly a decade. As organizer Phil Reed stated, our community has come up against the disease and it will do one of two things. It will either kill us or it will politicize us. That's right. Did a little bit of both. It did. Yes, it did. Sadly, it did both, (laughs) but it, it did. I mean, before this, yes, we had Stonewall riots. Yes, we had organizing, but before the AIDS crisis, there's two very fundamental differences between a civil rights movement and the movement like the AIDS crisis because the civil rights movement, you are fighting for your rights and that's important. And in, and in that respect, you are fighting for your lives. You are mm-hmm. fighting for your ability to have, you know, a, a positive life experience. Mm-hmm. But the AIDS crisis, you are literally fighting for your life. Mm-hmm. And that is a very different it's a very you're already gonna die yes you are yeah exactly you are going to die it's just are you gonna die today or you may die in three years you Mm -hmm. know like how long you are or you're fighting maybe you know you're going to die but your friend's just been diagnosed and maybe he or she has a chance of living Mm -hmm. like that is or you're fighting for the watching people drop like flies around you and you know either a this is gonna wipe out everybody i love Mm mm-hmm or that, and this is going to wipe me out if I'm not careful. We need exactly. real action right now. Yeah, we're not talking about like, oh, we'll get around to action mm-hmm. in a couple years. Like we're talking about if you don't fucking do something, everybody I know is going to die. Yep. Um, and so that is a that is a 
uh, atmosphere and a motivation that you cannot compare to any other, or you can compare to very few other movements. I can't think of another movement that would, that would compare to this because again, the urgency around this is 10 times greater. Mm So on March 10th, 1987, outspoken activist Larry Kramer stood in a New York auditorium full of queer people and asked for two-thirds of the audience to stand up. He then said plainly, In five years, all of you standing will be dead. Kramer had been speaking out about the crisis since news reports first broke in 1980, yet for most of the previous seven years he had been shrugged off as an alarmist or deliberately silenced by more powerful leaders in the community. Larry Kramer attempted to start a relief and response group through the gay men's health crisis, but eventually was pushed out of the board because he was too loud and aggressive. And uh, we covered this a lot in our AIDS crisis Mm -hmm. epidemic um, coverage that we did in June. Yet Kramer was never a person who cared to be silent or tamed. On this morning, he once again demanded to know what the community was going to do about a pandemic that had destroyed them. He called out the GMHC and reproached them for their lack of real response. He stated firmly, If my speech tonight doesn't scare the shit out of you, we're in real trouble. If what you're hearing doesn't rouse you to anger, fury, rage, and action, gay men will have no future here on Earth. How long does it take before you get angry and fight back? And I'm just thinking of how traumatizing it must be for people who survived the AIDS crisis to be alive today under Trump with this new pandemic and watching Dr. Fauci like mm-hmm. and like watching him up there like it must be so triggering because oh, like I'm it's sure. literally almost the exact same playthrough. It, it, it's it's everything again. Yeah, Dr. Fauci there in the AIDS it's literally crisis the same. and there he is. Like, but granted it's not a gay di- quote unquote gay disease this time, but, but like just the yeah. like I can't imagine how traumatizing it is another conservative republican from the TV, like on stage controlling this crisis, watching Fauci say, please do this, please do this. The president saying, fuck it, fuck it. Like, well, I, and triggering. This, <laughs> it actually is going to end on this, but this, it, this actually, again, because what the AIDS crisis did, and it literally ends with this statement, so spoiler alert, but what it did was it, sh- it didn't show that this was a gay disease. It showed that this, it wasn't that people didn't care about gay people, and that did play into it. There was a lot of homophobia, but it really just showed that you just don't care about people right you don't care about poor people you don't care about black people you don't care about women you don't care about anyone that isn't a straight white man and especially a straight white rich man you don't care mm-hmm. about them and we see that in covid right there are 200 what is it 249,000 250,000 too many to remember at this point I, I, there was so i don't know biden was just saying something i think they hit 250,000 was the marker of people that have died so far we have this year uh I think four, I saw the statistic, it could be slightly wrong, but it was something like 4% of the world's population and mm-hmm. 20% of the COVID deaths in the world. Yeah, 20%. Yeah. So over 250,000 people have died and the vast, vast, vast majority of those people are poor. They are underrepresented. They are marginalized. They don't have access to good health care. They are elderly. They are disabled all the people that you want to get out of your society, right? Like mm-hmm. Donald Trump Jr. P- tested positive for COVID. So fucking what? Not because I don't care about a person suffering, but because I know that Don Jr. is going to get the greatest doctors in the world oh, to yeah. treat him. He's going to have every fucking thing he needs and the chances of him dying or really suffering that much are very slim because he has everything he needs. Mm-hmm. Just like when Trump got COVID, it didn't fucking matter. He got some experimental drug. Exactly. He had Whatever top he doctors needed, in the world, everything. Yeah. He could get it 
and most Americans can't. And that's why you, you're going to get this and you're going to shrug it off like it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. And again, 250,000 Americans alone, let alone the what over a million in the world mm -hmm. are, have died and you could give two shits. Right. So go ahead, you. <laughs> <laughs> the crowd erupted in a res uh, in to uh, his speech. To Larry Kramer's speech, yes. yes. In a resounding agreement with Larry, these were individuals who all knew someone had who had died. Most of them knew many people who had died. Plenty were anticipating the death of friends and family. Some who attended knew their own days were numbered. Two days after Kramer's speech, 300 people met to discuss what must be done. Their first protest happened just two weeks later on a Wall Street on Wall Street in response to the HIV drug AZT being sold at an unaffordable cost. It would be another two years before the pharmaceutical company Burroughs Welcome Burroughs Welcome oh, Burroughs Welcome lowered their annual cost by about thirty five hundred a year. This comparatively small reduction came after more than one hundred and twenty people were arrested just for protesting this issue alone. Yeah, just this issue alone. Um, you know, and and that's not doesn't count all the other um, Wall Street protests mm -hmm. that went in there. Um, but the you know the thing about about these drug tests again. America just being ridiculous like you could go to France and we talked about this in mm -hmm. the AIDS crisis coverage of you could go to France and and you could have a trust a test in two to three years and here in America they're telling you it's going to be 10 to 15 years before you can release this yep. fuck that and then it's outrageously priced and it's still outrageously priced. everything's outrageously priced it, it is I have a friend who's HIV positive and they talk a lot about it and they um and, and they've shared that they 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 were going to, I can't remember what it was. I want to say it was going to be $50,000 in cost. Mm -hmm. Luckily they had insurance and coverage for that. But if you didn't have that, how do you, how do you cover 50,000 in, in HIV medication today? How you do don't. you do that? You don't, you don't do that. Well, that's, um, not that my, like my bipolar medicine, I have, mm -hmm. um, the newest one. It's the only one that's worked for me. It's like 900 something a refill with my insurance. I pay 15. Wow. Now, if I were to lose my job, especially because of my mental illness, mm -hmm. And I lost my insurance. I also lose access to my bipolar medication and my new medicine that I just started on on top of that. So then what? Like my mental health just spirals out of control until I'm unemployable. Mm. Then I go on disability and get like a $400 check and that's what I'm supposed to live on every month. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no safety net. There's nothing. And, and, and you doesn't, and we know it doesn't have to cost this. We know that in other we places watched, it doesn't cost yes, this. We have watched other countries go like um i was listening to another podcast and this woman's like i was in oh, fuck i don't know she was in another country and she mm. was like i noticed that there was a lump on my chest so i went to the um so they kept telling me go to the um go to the cancer clinic go to the mm -hmm. cancer clinic and she was like oh but don't i need a um recommendation and they're referral, like what yeah. they're like what's a referral just go so she's like okay i went here and i walked in and i said i'm here you know they told me to come here and she said okay and then they took her back like five minutes later. They did the examination, gave her the results, and she ended up paying like five dollars. Yeah. And in the United States, it would be like you have to get a referral from your doctor. Then you have to schedule an appointment. Maybe they'll see you four months later. You'll get your scan. You owe them like three thousand dollars. Like uh -huh. it's just ridiculous. That it is. It's not even ridiculous. It's immoral. Mm -hmm. Our health industry is immoral. Absolutely. And Americans think that it has to be that way. And Americans And they're like, dumbly... you want some of that socialized health care? <laughs> you want some of that socialized health care? Yeah, yeah, actually I do. Yes, please. <laughs> you you, you try to tell me that I <laughs> I'm paying. You try like... to tell me that I should 
I should have to pay $300 extra a year in taxes so I can pay nothing in healthcare costs? I don't think so. Even though they're most likely paying like $70 a paycheck. Exactly. To get basic health care. Right. Exactly. Which means that basically means shit. Basic mm-hmm. health care means you don't have health care coverage. It means that you have um, astronomical uh, deductibles and then most of your shit isn't covered anyways. When I was a manager at CVS, my health insurance was they don't cover anything until mm-hmm. I have paid $3,000 out of pocket. Yeah. So not only did I have to pay for all of my doctor's visits and all of my prescription medicine, mm-hmm. I also... Um, was paying them like I don't even remember it was at least like $200 a month I think yeah you pay that $200 a month and plus you pay the $3,000 deductible plus only 80% you, there's an 80-20 coverage yep. so you're still paying for 20% of the stuff like are you fucking kidding me mm-hmm. I'm paying you to do, to do nothing I'm paying you only Literally, to make it just in case I have to go to the hospital and have a $30,000 operation exactly. I'll still probably have to pay 8000 of it but guess what yeah I didn't have to pay the other 22000 your so-called insurance is just a peace of mind that I won't be completely fucked over mm-hmm. if um, if I do have to go in the hospital. But otherwise, yeah, you're not doing diddly shit for me. Right. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> oh, my God. As momentum grew, <laughs> back to ACT UP. This is going to be a lot of rants, but uh, but you it know what? That perfectly. is what ACT UP was about. Yeah. I can't express that enough. This was not just about the AIDS crisis, although that was what drove them. It, it shone the light on all the other problems in the system. As momentum grew, other chapters began to start across the country. For many people, this was the only way they could connect with others who understood their pain. ACT UP was a source of healing that allowed folks to channel their grief and rage. It also began to shake down a country that had largely ignored the deaths of AIDS victims. In January of 1988, the first women-led protest took place in a call to cancel or shut down Cosmopolitan magazine. This was unique as most AIDS protests had been largely male-led up to this point. Even before ACT UP was founded, folks almost unanimously saw AIDS as a gay male problem. When Cosmopolitan published an article claiming that females could not contract HIV or AIDS, despite overwhelming contradictory evidence, the women of ACT UP staged a protest. Nearly 150 stood outside the magazine headquarters shouting, Say no to Cosmo. By the following year, the grassroots organization had doubled in size. In May of 88, 600 people demonstrated outside of the state capitol in Albany, New York. Here, Vito Russo gave a heartbreaking speech on what it felt like to live with AIDS and watch those around you dying off with the rest of the world, while the rest of the world pretends that nothing is happening. Um, Russo would pass away just two years later, but his speech is still considered one of the most important of the AIDS crisis, and it is no wonder, as the middle-aged author poignantly described a community being ravaged while everyone else looks away. The few resources available were heavily overpriced, and government red tape kept the cheaper or experimental drugs tied up for years. Many reports stated that anywhere between 50 to 80 viable experimental drugs were being tested during this time, and the process required nearly a decade of tests before the drugs could be released to the public. Meanwhile, Europe testing in other countries was significantly faster. Um, And actually, um, just a little side note, Vito Russo... In our last episode, we were talking about coding in um, Hollywood. He wrote the book, Celluloid Closet, which was later turned into the documentary. So he was one of the first people to really point out coding Mm -hmm. in queer Hollywood before it became the topic that it is today. This was obviously in the, the late 80s. So... Um, just just a little yeah. interesting tidbit. Um, <clears throat> but in fact, most early protests focused on demanding that the FDA and pharmaceutical companies 
stop withholding potentially life-saving medications. On October 11th, 1988, what would later be named National Coming Out Day, that's not October 11th if you didn't know, 1,500 protesters surrounded the FDA headquarters in Rockville, Maryland. They held banners with the upside-down pink triangle and chanted, Silence equals death and release the drugs and FDA, how many people have you killed today? Over 100 people were arrested as police rounded up the protesters and forced, and forced them onto buses. Other activists broke free and laid in front of the buses doing their very best to prevent them from leaving the premises. The highly televised and publicized event drew national attention to the queer community. This was perhaps the first time the entire nation really saw the effects the crisis was having on the LGBTQ+. Um, and we did talk about it um, way back when. If you don't know what the upside down pink triangle uh, represents, you can read. You um, can you can read you can read or listen to our episode, The Pink Triangle, where mm-hmm. we explain the roots that that has, the, the history behind it. Yeah. And the thing is, if you're dying... You're going to die, right? The doctor says you have X amount of years to live. You're diagnosed with this thing and it's going to kill you. Why the fuck can't they have the experimental drugs? They're going to fucking die anyways. If the drugs kill them, you know what? They were going to die. But maybe it's going to save them. Yeah. And that was what people were saying. They were like, who gives a shit? We, this is an in, uh, yes, this is an incurable disease. I always want to say uncurable, which is not a word. (laughs) (laughs) This is an incurable disease. It does not matter what you give us. Right. You're, you're going to speed up the pain or you're going to speed up the process, which is fine because dying of AIDS is a very slow and horrible death. Mm -hmm. Or there's a chance that we extend our life. Like it doesn't matter. We're already suffering. We're already dying. What is your whole thing? Yeah. One reason ACT UP is still seen as one of the most effective grassroots groups ever to exist is because of their no-holds-barred activism. Members would charge into offices and through the streets wearing gloves covered in blood. They chained themselves to balconies and stairwells and office chairs. They flipped over lunch tables and poured fake blood onto computers. And in the end, many members of ACT UP had little to lose. They either... They were either dying of an incurable disease or someone they loved was dying of an incurable disease. The threats and pressure to conform and behave in society did not apply and the punishments of fines and imprisonments meant little to them. And it was this desperate message that caught the eye of the public. No matter how a person felt about the queer community, it was hard to watch them plead and fight for their very lives and not feel moved. So again, like even things that you didn't see, like yes, in, the, in civil rights or in early Stonewall, um, or not so well in early gay rights movement protests or in uh, the women's rights protests. Yes, you saw a lot of like chaining yourselves, but you didn't see this complete abandonment. You didn't see the complete abandonment and and it came across as a complete disregard for the system. But again, the system has such a complete disregard for you that they're watching you die in front of them and not giving a shit. Literally not even trying any, like they're just like whatever. That's what happens. And so if I charge into your office and I destroy your computers with my fake blood and you decide to find me, who gives a shit? I'm going to be dead in six months. Right. I'm going to be dead in six months and you can't find a dead person. You can put me in prison, but you're going to kick me out of prison because I have AIDS or I'm HIV positive. Again, what the fuck are you going to do? Or right. I watch my lo- the person that I love, my partner, my my wife, my boyfriend, my, my spouse die. So again, you threatening to imprison me for a year doesn't really mean anything right. to me because you took away the thing that was the most precious to me. Mm-hmm. While there were plenty of emotions driving the group, there was also plenty of strategic planning. Organizers took aim at events where the press or video cameras would already be located. 
Protests erupted on ballpark stadiums and in local town halls or behind commemorative ceremonies. And again, you don't have your phone. You can't just whip it out. So you have to show up where the press is. Mm-hmm. Once ACT UP had made a name for itself, a quick phone call to a reporter could almost ensure the press would follow them to wherever they went. Leaders were also made... Sh- Leaders also made sure to have protests visiting from out of town hold sign placards that showed where they were from. This showed that the crisis was widespread and also worked as a local reference point for many local newspapers. Rather than burying a store from rather than burying a story from New York on its back pages, a newspaper in say Montana might print a front page story about a group of Montana citizens that traveled to New York for protests. So you were very much supposed to say, I'm from Delaware, I'm from Wisconsin and have that. And so then they could come and they could reference you. And then you were more likely to be on the front page and again, create more awareness. That's awesome. There were also the signs protesters carried. Of course, the upside down pink triangle bearing the words silence equals death linked quite a powerful message. It's reference to the Holocaust and the history of, res- of resounding silence as LGBTQ people suffered packed a double punch. But there were so many more signs. Many of those diagnosed with HIV or AIDS carried images of tombstones that read, killed by the FDA, died at the hands of the system, dead due to lack of funding, and more. In one protest in front of a Rite Aid, protesters changed the store sign to read, Fight AIDS. Uh, they also often wrapped themselves in red tape to signify the red tape keeping them away from potentially life-saving drugs. And of course, there was always the main sign that bore the rising tally of those who had died of AIDS. All of this provided a very intimidating and overwhelming presence when the group would show up on site for a protest. And with that, we'll be right back. back um so you know when we first started and i said you know it was 1987 the death tally was 40,000 by the end of 1989 it was 90,000 so we see and we see this in covid we saw this in the aids crisis you know you start your numbers start to climb and then all of a sudden they're doubling and then they're tripling and then they're mm-hmm. quadrupling and it's just snowballing so fast and that's exactly what doctors warned us about right now that's what they were warning people about that's what you know um, that's what leaders I don't even want to say Anthony Fauci because I don't think he was he was there he was warning about the snowballing effect but you know more like um, I think it's Don Harris down in the CDC that's what a lot of doctors were saying they're trying to warn the public like this thing is going to take off you think it's taking off now we're telling you it's going to really take mm-hmm. off if you don't pay fucking attention and so this rapidly climbing and changing environment needed an organization that was going to address it head on. There was a lot of groups like the gay men's health crisis and other ones that wanted to help, wanted to handle this crisis in this very diplomatic way. And we'll just kind of, you know, make some changes and adjust things. And, mm-hmm. you know, people don't listen to the diplomatic ways though. They not, don't. Well, you can't, and you can't, people are panicked. And in, in addition, like you don't have time. Like exactly. Larry Kramer said, you know, in five years, two thirds of us are going to be dead. Like you, we don't have time for your shit. We don't have time for your red tape. We don't have time to calmly get out there and worry about our image. That's not what this is about. Yeah. You know, I think the thing is the gay rights movement had made built on this image of showing that people that were, you know, we're just like you and we're normal and we're Mm -hmm. likable. And when the crisis hit, they wanted to continue with that. And Kramer was like, I don't give a shit if anybody likes us. I don't give a shit. And, and, and it wasn't just Kramer, you know, it wasn't just Larry Kramer. 
the thing was about ACT UP, it wasn't an organization where any one person was in charge or was leading or was or was about them. Mm-hmm. So part of the brilliance of ACT UP can be attributed to its structure and the lack of direct hierarchy. The group had never filed as a 501c3, which is the typical federal nonprofit status, or any legal entity for that matter. Ultimately, members determined that they wanted nothing to do with government, and this allowed them to freely operate as they please. Because if you don't know a nonprofit, if you do file, even as an LLC, you have to follow certain requirements for your state and for federally. Mm -hmm. Isn't one of them like you can't be involved in politics or something like that? Uh, It depends on what kind of nonprofit you do. But yeah, for a 501c3, I'm pretty sure you can't can't be a lobbyist. Mm -hmm. So you can't be involved in lobbying the government or in in influencing them in that way. You also have to have an internal hierarchy. You have to have, you know, like a president and a Mm -hmm. vice president. And so to freely operate is exactly what they did, hosting regular meetings, usually on Monday nights, and held in an open forum style that allowed any person or group to speak. The organization consisted of numerous smaller affinity groups that were all individually doing their own organizing. Rather than a president or an oversight board, each local group was overseen by two or more committees. These committees could often be joined by any person who wished, and members would draft proposals to be taken to the floor for a full vote. Which is great because it really just let them expand into like this massive Mm -hmm. group. Like, you know, if there's no, if there's like no real rules or regulations or law things you have to follow, you can do what you fucking want. You can Mm -hmm. do what you fucking need and you can get it done. And then people that want to drive it and will, um, you know, be devoted to it, they'll, they're ones that will make things happen. Right. Um, A lot of people don't know this, like in in, very different, but AA doesn't have a structure of hierarchy. Like you join AA, they do like groups can vote on people but they're all temporary positions so and there's not like a there's not a president of AA there's nobody that's leading things there's you have a person who will chair a meeting who will like speak at a meeting you'll have a person who takes um, not notes on the meeting but they'll take like general information you know you'll have a person that counts the money and make sure the bills get paid but like there's no established hierarchy with AA and I think the reason that it's been so successful in helping people is because anybody who wants to join and wants to become active can become active and then people that are committed to it make things happen and they keep AA running and working well and people that aren't committed to it then they can just leave like there's no there's no drama for that like it's you know it works The Issues Committee and the Actions Committee were seen in every group and were the most crucial. These groups determined what needs should be focused on and how they would go about their uh, disruptions, which they referred to as ZAPs. Many of the larger chapters also had committees on finance, outreach, image, housing, media, and more. Yet even if an individual couldn't get their committee approval for a vote, or if the person wasn't a part of any committees at all, they were still allowed to bring a vote to the floor. Act Up's ability to remain almost completely democratic was quite remarkable and also directly responsible for its success. As Anna Bloom told producers in the documentary United in Anger, A History of Act Up, it was brilliant because it was organic and it came out of necessity because Act Up always wanted the freshness of irreverence and irreverence can't come from consensus. Exactly. They wanted that. They wanted you to speak your mind. They wanted you. You could just stand up and be like, this is what I think. And you had as much voice as every other person in that room. That's incredible. And I'm sure there's always like there becomes like a power group. Like, you know, these people are really running things like there is that. But the fact that any person could stand up and say, I want to be a part of something. I want to say my mind. Here's a vote I want to bring. And you, you know, if you got if you 
even if you didn't have the powers that be behind you, if you brought a vote to the floor and the majority of people agreed with what you were saying, that's what happened. Yeah, that's you how it know worked. what? Even if you, they didn't agree with what you were saying necessarily, they heard your voice, they mm-hmm. got to listen, and maybe they can use that going forward to make additional changes. Exactly. You know, it was it's very powerful just to be able to speak. Yep. In late 1988, ACT UP continued to lead the way on revolutionizing activism when they launched AIDS Community Television. Before social media, an individual had to have contacts in news or television in order to get their information out to the public. But for the last decade, queer people had watched their narrative and the narrative of the crisis and the narrative of the crisis become distorted and twisted by a biased media. By launching ACT, AIDS Community Television, they could take back that narrative as well as provide reliable information to the public. When a national magazine like Cosmopolitan is publishing such erroneous information that women can't contract AIDS, it becomes imperative to combat that misinformation. ACT UP's media was able to give credible and extensive knowledge around the AIDS crisis as well as the government and law enforcement's response to protesters. Additionally, they were also able to humanize many queer people who were typically othered by society. Yeah, being able to take control of your narrative has been such Mm -hmm. a big thing. And um, you can even see that in modern day with like uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, how they can clearly show, you know, here is this video of somebody literally being murdered by the police because literally for no reason he was sitting in his car and they just walked up to the door opened his car door and shot him there's no they it was a traffic stop and he was shot simply because he was black there's no other reasoning here you go here's what the fucking problem is yeah and i think and that's a great example because it just shows because for so long police have been like you know these dangerous black men these dangerous Mm -hmm. black people um and and telling us well we don't know why our prisons are disproportionately black and brown i guess they just commit more crimes Mm -hmm. and then showing one video after another of the way they're just callously murdering people, mm-hmm. you know, and be like, well, he had a he had a joint on him. Well, you know, we've arrested this guy before, so I, I guess yeah. you can lean on his neck for nine fucking minutes. Um, you know, just showing the real brutality behind law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Most of their footage came from an affinity media group diva tv which stood for damned interfering video activist television that is pretty (laughs) fucking brilliant um diva filmers always had their cameras on them at all times which is quite a job when one considers how large cameras were in the late 80s and early 90s those big giant things they would hold (laughs) on their shoulders like just imagine going out to get your coffee or like i got my just in case you never know what's gonna never know when you need it today we have the benefit of cameras that fit in our pockets but diva team members hauled the cameras around in backpacks whipping them out at a moment's notice this was one of the whipping them out we of course mean like a 10 minute like oh (laughs) man when i get the lens on this thing (laughs) you're in for it buddy (laughs) meanwhile the people are like uh, our fight's over we're just gonna keep it moving they're like no just draw it out a little bit longer This was one of the first and earliest forms of documenting police brutality on film. Between 1989 and 1997, Diva TV collected more than 700 hours of protest footage. When the internet began to take off in the mid-90s, Diva started streaming their footage online using webcast series. Another media partnership was Grand Fury, in which artists anonymously created images to 
to represent ACT UP and its mission. When public entities rejected promotional flyers or billboards, Grand Fury would often post their work illegally on the buildings of Wall Street. Yeah, so they would just like overnight or they would like take ladders and they would climb up onto the walls of the the buildings. Mm -hmm. They would post the uh, pictures up and then they would chain themselves. And that was part of chaining themselves to the balcony so that they would, you know, you know, uh, protect or interfere with people trying to take the pictures Mm -hmm. down. In 1989, the group ramped up its activism with even more bold and aggressive tactics. The march, the, that march, they sat outside of New York City's halls in cardboard boxes protesting against the denial of housing for AIDS victims. Many also laid in the streets telling reporters, they're kicking us out into the streets so we're going to block the streets. Organizers introduced a new method to their resistance and implemented wave systems. This meant that there were three to four groups that would take on the task most likely to get them arrested. Only they now broke into waves, which meant that as soon as one group was arrested and hauled away, group two would step into their place. Oh, that would have been annoying as hell. Oh. Imagine being that law enforcement. <laughs> so you just take clean you take off all like, these Yeah, we got all of those out of the way. And then all of a sudden, group two. <laughs> this That's gr- brilliant, though. <laughs> it was, yeah. This greatly produced the length and effectiveness of the protests as law enforcement were kept busy. Yep. <laughs> Several months later, yet another protest on Wall Street finally brought about the slight reduction in the HIV AIDS medication. AZT. Activists also took on more of their own community, challenging the diplomatic and overly cautious way many of other gay leaders were treating the crisis. The group crashed the uh, Montreal AIDS conference in June of that year and demanded that PWA, People with AIDS, be given a part in their conference. It sounds ridiculous to imagine that those who had the disease were being excluded from planning the world's response to the virus. Yet, this was the truth in most groups and organizations responsible for addressing the crisis. And you even see that today where, like, mm-hmm. there's all of these groups um, locally, for example, <laughs> that have all of these people within it that just weren't represented. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they tried to uh, get representation, they were seen as crazy outsiders. Like, I remember, I'm just going to say it, one Rhode yeah. Island Pride yeah. um, prism actually, like, marched in and they did, like, a whole thing in front of the stage and it was because they were completely excluded from any like planning they weren't given any part in the pride like they're like hey we're fucking here and we have a voice that matters yeah and they and then of course everybody you know was looking at them like why would they do something so crazy and uh misbehaved and why aren't they behaving you know and it's just like yeah prism that's the act up of like of like rhode island and and groups like that where like you have the establishment of gay, you know, and that it's just like every other politics, mm-hmm. right? In the gay world, queer world, you have the establishment. That's usually your pride organization. Boston has the same problem. You know, your your established group of like, you know, we're thirty old white guys, and we've got this one Latino guy, so that makes us super diverse. And we've got two girls, so obviously, obviously we're, we're, we're doing what we need, <laughs> and um, and we are going to make sure that we put on the best pride parade ever. And meanwhile, people of color are like, um, we're fucking dying over here and we're starving we have uh, disabled people aren't able to get benefits like we have some problems and white gays are like it's fine it's totally fine we'll get to you i promise (laughs) we're gonna you know we're gonna get to you we're we're gonna put a whole uh float in the parade for you this year so that's gonna make a big difference Mm -hmm. so yeah and that's also why rhode island pride is essentially dissolved who knows what they're gonna come back as but you know whatever who knows (laughs) (laughs) Um, even in those collectives that were mostly run by LGBTQ people, as a whole, PWAs 
um, that's people with AIDS, along with transgender individuals were nearly entirely omitted from any formal organization, and few included any people of color or women in their planning and operations, just like today. <laughs> this was a big reason the Women's Caucus as well as the Latino Caucus of ACT UP were formed in which... Um, were formed in order to ensure their voices would not be silenced in this group as well and they were not silenced but rather magnified which again attributed to the excess success of the movement yeah so again you're all the people that that the establishment it, the gay establishment is excluding go to act up and they go to similar organizations but that were often partnered with act up with partnered with act up and they go there and uh, amazingly you see success mm -hmm. because these people have more to lose number fucking one and number two there's so many ideas and so many perspectives that you're excluding how the fuck do you expect to really be uh successful and how are you measuring success right is it success when most people are dying and most people are homeless and most people don't have health care is that fucking success but they get to live comfortably up right. there, like like well me and my partner bill you know we're, we're finally able to live together in an apartment and honestly that's the win that we want mm -hmm. act up's most notorious and controversial demonstration took place in mid-december just a few weeks earlier the archbishop of new york had declared that condoms had declared that condom use was a sin no matter if it prevented the spread of hiv the church leader also condemned homosexuality and the evolving abortion laws a small affinity took a small affinity group took over the emergency wing of St. Vincent's Medical Center and covered all the crucifixes and condoms. YOLO. <laughs> but the That's some shit I would have right? been involved in. <laughs> <laughs> but the sisters on site did not press charges. Rather, they sat down and spoke with the organizers. While this was a brief moment of understanding between the two groups on opposing sides, a more blatant and provocative protest was in the works. Over the next two weeks, hundreds of ACT UP members strategized and planned a response to the Cardinal and the entire Catholic clergy in New York and abroad. And I, I mean, they have footage, obviously, of this. And, and just like... I mean, when we're talking about planning committees, I mean, they had blueprints of the church, everything. Wow. They were fucking ready. On December 10th, several thousand protesters descended on St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. The group was a mix of ACT UP and its many affinity groups, along with several women's rights groups. After all, the church's history of attacks and abuses against women is just as long as their abuse against the LGBTQ. Many demonstrators were armed with pamphlets that looked like the program St. Patrick's would hand out to parish parishioners each week. Yet inside was a list of their complaints and grievances against the church. That was also bright. They were just really smart mm -hmm. with this, where they'd be like, here, would you like your church program? And then you would open it and be like, here's what's wrong with the church. Yep. <laughs> Ray Navarro, a leading voice during this time, showed up dressed as Jesus Christ and did a mock news story of the event. At the time for mass, as the time for mass drew closer, the crowd outside continued to swell. Police officers had already been deployed to keep protesters out since ACT UP had made it clear that they planned to demonstrate. But officers could only stop the obvious protesters, and more than 50 individuals made it inside the church and even a few were armed with hidden cameras. As soon as the cardinal began to speak, several dozen protesters laid down in the aisles staging a die-in. And we've referred to this before, Pose did this um, on their show, and that is a true thing that happened. The idea was to silently lay on the ground and make their point. But when the archbishop refused, uh, but when the archbishop urged for peace and continued on with his homily as usual, the dismissal was too much. His refusal to acknowledge the stage die-in was exactly like his refusal to acknowledge the thousands of real deaths that had occurred during that had occurred due to AIDS. 
At this time, protesters began to scream, yell, and read through the list of offenses. Some chanted, stop killing us, and we're fighting for your lives too. One individual took the Holy Eucharist, a wafer used in religious ceremonies, chewed it up, spit it out, and left the mess on the floor. And that really ticked people off. I no bet. shit. <laughs> that would have been some shit I would have done. I'm like, like, yeah, motherfucker. What about this? Yeah. That was like all the news reports could talk talk about. They're like, and this one guy chewed up the wafer and he spit it out on the floor. Like, oh my God, you must be so offended. I'm sorry that 90 fucking thousand people have died of AIDS. Right. Heaven forbid the wafer on the floor, though. Oh, God. Plainclothed officers were finally given the go-ahead and descended on the protesters. 43 people were arrested inside the church, and most had to be dragged or carried out on stretchers, which is brilliant. Just imagine, they're yeah. like limp there. They're like, fuck you. You gotta oh, have to carry them out. Oh, they always made them drag them out. There's so many clips of people being dragged mm-hmm. out. Like, you do not help them at all. <laughs> outside the church, the crowd had grown to nearly 7,000 people, which was the biggest picket protest a church had ever experienced. Police arrested 68 more people and aggressively tried to keep the crowd in check. By that evening, all news stories were covering the atrocities that had happened in St. Patrick's Cathedral. The reaction was overwhelmingly negative as many found the protests went too far. But as one one activist bluntly put it, there was this idea that we needed people to like us, but ACT UP said, so what? Why do we need to be liked? We are human beings. We need certain things. And the reason we're not getting these things is because they don't want actually like us that much and they won't. Which is a great point. They don't yeah. really like you. They're just pretending to accept you. So you shut the fuck up. Yeah, they're not going to like you. Like this idea like, oh, if we, look, guys, if we just conform enough, then they'll accept us. And there's still that mentality to today. I still see it all the time with queer people being like, just conform, 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 conform. Yeah. And eventually we'll show them that we're worthy. We're already fucking worthy. We are ver- worthy exactly as we are for who we are. The mm-hmm. issue is not that we have not conformed enough. The issue is you have a fucking problem. And so, yeah, we're going to go in your damn church service and we're going to lie in. And then people, and then of course people are like, you know what? If they had just done the die in and hadn't been screaming, I would have been fine. But that's bullshit too. Mm-hmm. Because if they had just silently laid there, then you would have been like, I just don't think that's appropriate. If they had it just stayed outside, yeah. that would have been okay. Yeah, and then they just stayed outside. It would have been like, well, if they just had protested on a different day when we didn't have church, there was always a reason why you didn't, you thought that protest went too far. It's yeah. like Colin Kaepernick kneeling. All he's fucking doing is kneeling during a song and people being like, if he could just do it a different way, maybe mm-hmm. just don't put your hand over your heart. Maybe just don't do yep. it during that song. No matter song. what you do, it's never going to be good enough mm-hmm. if it doesn't go with the mainstream idea of what you should be. Exactly. The idea that all human beings deserve housing and healthcare and basic needs were the driving ideology behind ACT UP. These were concepts these were concepts spoken about and protested over since the organization's inception. And it was because of this that so many marginalized groups found a home in ACT UP. They were, simply, they were not simply advocating for a response to the AIDS crisis. They were advocating for a response to human crisis and to a racist, sexist, and capitalist culture that had denied an equitable lifestyle to all individuals. The protests in 1990-1991 especially showcased this drive as ACT UP members stormed the National Institutes of Health in Maryland, chanted outside the Holy Cross Cathedral in Boston, overtook the Los Angeles County Supervisors Board, and put a 15-foot condom over the home of anti-queer Senator Jesse Helms. One of the final biggest demonstrations came in January of 1991 during the Day of Desperation when thousands of activists protested over Operation Desert Storm demanding money for AIDS, not war. The group filled Grand Central Station and made headlines across the country. Which isn't it amazing how we always have money to fight and kill, build weapons of mass destruction, 
purchase planes, purchase helicopters, uh -huh. but there's never money for help. However, while the brilliancy of the movement is what made it so effective, it is also what made it more susceptible to group splits. As 1991 came to a close, many chapters had detached from the ACT UP name. While the group was incredibly successful, the reality was that many individuals were still dying. With drugs only becoming slightly more accessible, too many, um, too many who were a part of the early movement were dying off. This wore down the morale of the movement and tore to the, at the very fabric of the organization. This combined with natural differences and bickering eventually led to a general dissolvement of ACT UP, though some groups would continue on for many more years. As a final collective act, a few hundred demonstrators marched to the White House of George H.W. Bush and dumped the ashes of their loved ones on the White House lawn. The moment poignantly showed the real cost of the movement and perfectly depicted exactly why the ACT UP, why ACT UP had ever existed. Yeah, so it just, I mean, it's a, it's like a closure. I mean, it wasn't planned that way. It just slowly fell off. I mean, again, people disagreeing on what needed to be done, how it needed to be done. You couldn't sustain that momentum and you couldn't sustain that form. I mean, it's a great, it was great for what it needed in that moment. Right. They needed this jolt. They needed someone to shake them awake. And that's what ACT UP did. But there's no structure. There's no hierarchy. And so as groups split, they just slowly fall away. And and then when you're watching more and more people die, there was like such a charge to the, the, the queer rights movement and to the queer existence. But then you're still watching people die. And then and that just slowly wears down. And so you just see it just slowly wear down. Mm -hmm. and, and, and in time, it just faded. But I, I did find it um, very interesting that, you know, like one of the final things they did as a collective movement was go to the White House lawn and dump the ashes there and be like, here, here's here's four years of activism. And this is where we're at. Yeah. There's literally our ashes on your lawn. That's fucking crazy to think. Yeah. About. And so though the organization slowly fell away, its legacy had forever impacted the LGBTQ community and the world at large. ACT UP changed the narrative on AIDS and the healthcare and women's rights and government support of the people. Those in the movement saw that while the government's lack of response to AIDS was a direct threat, it was only a symptom of a much larger problem. As activist Zoe Leonard said, what AIDS revealed was not the problem of the virus. What AIDS revealed was the problem of our society. It was this fissure through which all the ways in which our society wasn't working and became abundantly clear. Yeah, and again, we're seeing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Shit's just not working. Like uh, my, I one of my coworkers just got fired. Um, she has, she just had a baby. Mm -hmm. She gave birth at the beginning of the pandemic. So I messaged her. I'm like, hey, how are you doing? And she's like, well, I'm um, now a mother, a new mother with an eight-year-old, and I have no insurance in the middle of a pandemic. And it's just like, what do you even say to that? How do I even say, like, other than, like, I'm so sorry, I hope things get better sooner. Like, I can't offer her anything. Yeah. Like, what yeah. the fuck do you do? Like, it's just another, this is just reminding us again that, like, we need to re redo our healthcare in this country because people are dying and who knows what, I mean, hopefully she'll be fine. And I mean, her husband has a job still and I'm sure they can do something through his job. Yeah. But at the end of the day, why the fuck do we have citizens without healthcare in our country when we're supposed to be the best country in the world? They say it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, and even if they are okay with her husband, like you can't survive on a single you income can. household anymore. What do you do then? You've got two kids to feed. Like, mm -hmm. What do you do? I, uh, yeah. So your recommended resources are the documentary United in Anger, A History of Act Up, available for free on Amazon Prime or linked in our script 
to YouTube, or the book How to Survive a Plague by David France. Yeah. Um, um, and it's really good, and I... I don't, I don't see the documentary as that depressing. Not saying that you, you can't or shouldn't watch that, but you know, if you're like, I don't, I don't really want to watch people dying. Um, the thing about United in Anger is it, it really kind of like uplifts you. It like shows this momentum and it shows a change. And even though it, it didn't last in that respect, in other respects, it, it did last. I mean, the t- conversations that we're having today are because. 30 years ago, these young people... Somebody laid the foundation ago, for us. Yeah, we're like, hey, we deserve universal health care. Why the fuck don't we have it? Like, these conversations have been around for a while, and they're only now coming to the forefront and becoming part of mainstream mm-hmm. conversations. And so, yeah, so, you know, I'd say check it out if you can. And um, just remembering, and, you know, it's a w- great way to honor people on World's AIDS Day um, and remembering them. Um, and just before we go, we will have a, an announcement, a, a brief... A mini so dropping tomorrow of an announcement of the things that I've been telling you I've been working on and also something that's coming for free um, HIV test kits that can be sent yep. to your home so I'll be talking about what? that that's pretty incredible I know. so no matter where you are as long as you're in the United States um, we've partnered with Sojourner House to send a free HIV uh, testing kit so you can still be testing yourself it's a self-serve kit. You just like uh, swipe the insides of your gum, rapid testing. So within 20 minutes, you have a um, test result. So, I've done one before. Um, not this, not through the same organization, but I have done one before. Yep. Um, it's quick. It's easy. And it's just a great way to, one, set yourself at ease. Mm-hmm. Um, or two, you know, if something comes up, you can get help right then and there. You know that you either need to look for something or you know you're safe. And you can say, hey, I was recently tested. Here's a way you can get tested. Mm -hmm. Share it with your friends, you know, tweet about it, share it with everybody uh, once Evan drops the announcement because, you know, it's just a way to keep everybody safe. It's a way to help society. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's no reason, like I said, there's no reason not to do it. It's free. It's free. (laughs) We will mail it to you. So please take advantage of it. And above all, stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our little allied hookers. And we'll suck in with Saphis. And resist the oppressors, our proud homocrats. And have yourself a sodomy circus. Or don't. And Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter. Matter. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.